Well, Merry Christmas, City Light. Happy birthday, Jesus. My name's Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be with you, and today is a day of joy. Today's a day of singing and celebration. Today's the day that we get to pause and remember and celebrate the reality that our God has pursued us. Our God has come. Our God has left heaven, put on flesh, come to earth. And why did he do this? Jesus himself tells us about the Christmas story. He said, I've come to seek and save the lost. Um, John the Baptist laid eyes on Jesus, said, here he is, the lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. We celebrate today that Jesus loved us enough to come and rescue us from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. We, he loved us enough to come and fight for us and defeat all of our enemies once and for all. We celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, our Savior. Some of you guys are here and Jesus is personal to you. You're here because Jesus has sought you. Jesus has saved you. Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus has given you a newness of life. Jesus has sustained you and been near to you uh, in hard and heavy seasons. You're here to worship your Savior, who you've personally received and experienced. Other of you guys are here because this is kind of what you have to do um, before grandma feeds you ham around her table uh, or because mom threatened to take you out of the will if you didn't show up tonight. Either way, we're here and uh, Christmas is all about Jesus. So you're gonna hear a lot about Jesus. You're all welcomed, okay? Um, here's where we're going uh, today. We're gonna be in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. If you got your Bibles, you can get them open. This is a passage that is written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, okay? Uh, Isaiah is uh, prophesying or predicting that this savior, this Messiah, this Christ would come and that this king uh, would lead in a specific kind of way and set up a specific kind of kingdom. And now we're 2000 years after the birth of Jesus, we're still looking back and, and looking at the titles of Jesus Christ to learn more about him, what his rule and reign will look like for all of eternity. The topic of this Christmas pa passage is actually government, okay? Merry Christmas. We get to talk about Jesus and government. Be blessed, all right? Now, I didn't say politics, so take a deep breath. We're not gonna get into a political debate. I know that's a no-no around Christmas. Not supposed to talk about faith, religion, or politics. We're gonna talk about two out of three today, all right? And so we will talk about government. And here's why. Uh, it's in the Bible, okay? So Jesus is more than a miracle worker or a teacher or a nice guy or an example to your children. Jesus is even more than just a baby in a manger. Jesus is a king. Jesus is a king. We just heard it. He came from the line of David. Uh, what did the wise men do? They brought him gifts fit for a king. Who did he announce himself? I'm, I'm preaching about the kingdom. And who's the king in the kingdom? Jesus is the king in the kingdom. So I wanna to talk to you guys about Jesus, the king in the kingdom, and how he's going to set up a government that will be centered on him. So here it is. Jesus is a king. Now, why does this matter to us personally? Well, one, if Jesus truly is the king of all eternity, of heaven and earth, if everything revolves around him, if he's all powerful and rules with all authority, you have to ask the question, who's really fit to lead my life? Am, am I the greatest king possible to sit on the throne of my life, to do all that I will, to deny myself no thing, or am I supposed to actually yield, bow to a different king and a different leader and a different Lord of my life, mainly Jesus Christ? Um, I was trying to be the king of my own life for a number of years. I found myself addicted, broken, insecure, and messy. I finally surrendered, bowed a knee to King Jesus, and he's led me like a good king. He said, this is why I've come, to, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. Who's experienced life in the kingdom of God? Life with this king, I have, amen. Couple honest people up front, praise be to God. Um, 
Also, some of you guys are Christians. You've bowed your knee. You've surrendered to King Jesus. But if you're really honest, even us as Christians, we have longings. We long for justice. We long for a leader who's not gonna be compromised. We long for a leader who's not a wimp. We long for a leader who speaks truth. We long for a leader who loves his people, who will fight for his people, who will die for his people, who will defend his people. People. And the temptation even for us as Christians is to think, yes, I've looked to Jesus. He's my savior. He's gonna make sure I don't go to hell and I get to go to heaven. But maybe we think we need to look beyond Jesus or past Jesus or around Jesus to find a, a, a world that is filled with peace and justice and joy. The good news this Christmas is you don't have to look around Jesus. You just get to look at Jesus. I promise you all of your longings will be found in this king. All of your desires for justice to come will come through this king. For the bad guys to be defeated will come through this king. For truth to reign will come through this king. I wanna show you guys Isaiah chapter nine so I can show you what we're talking about. Let's go ahead and jump into our text and read the first part of verse six. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon or be on his shoulders. So this starts as the typical Christmas story. It's about a child being born. It's about a son being given. The story is that Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, the one who hung the stars in the sky, who spoke the world into existence that has eternally existed, he stepped into time and space. He put on flesh and he chose to come into his own creation as a weak, feeble baby. This is the Christmas story that we celebrate. This is the baby in the manger that has come in an unexpected way, not riding in the clouds as a prince coming down, but as a baby laying in a manger. What's so different about this baby is that the government is on his shoulders. That's not normal. Um, many babies have been born and become kings, but Jesus is the first king that became a baby. So let me just explain to you what this means. Some of you are, um, so, so as we look through human history, I wanna talk about government real quickly. In every chapter of human history, humanity has sought to form a government to foster and protect human life and flourishing, but inevitably we've fallen short. Just a quick review on some history about government throughout the world. In ancient empires, they all rose and fell based on fear tactics, bloodshed and brutality. That's how the empires rose and fell of old. The kingdoms of the Middle Ages propped up earthly kings that proved to be only as good as the moral character of that king, right? Then there was the experiment called communism, which sought the benefit of the poor through governmentally forced sharing, but resulted in economic, social, and moral failure all over the world. It wasn't a win. Finally, I would propose that representative democracy is the best government the human race has ever developed. But is it perfect? No. Is there still a possibility for injustice? Is there still a susceptible nature of people who are in power to um, maybe cave, to be corrupt, to pursue power, to pursue what's maybe best for their own careers and not best for the people that they represent? But in the middle of human history, God gives us this promise that a new government is coming. This government isn't founded on a philosophy of economic equality or social policies, but on a person, the child that is born on Christmas. All of the weight of this government is on his shoulders. He's the one who's gonna hold this new government together that will rule in this new government. But we should ask the question, who can lead and bear the weight of this kind of government without buckling underneath it? Only the God-man Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. So 700 years after this promise was given in the book of Isaiah, Jesus was born in a barn to a virgin mother as the coming king. And in our verse, Isaiah prophesies four different titles 
that are gonna represent the leadership of this king. Four attributes that will be true of him. And in each of these, there's a moment where Isaiah talks about Jesus' divinity and his humanity, about his supernatural nature and one of his nature. So Isaiah is gonna give us a picture of this kingdom, this heaven meets earth kind of government that Jesus Christ is gonna come set up. And we should pause here. If Jesus is gonna be the ruler, the king of his kingdom, and there's no election, you're not voting Jesus off the throne, there's no um, checks and balances and power, he rules and reigns, what he says goes, we should try to figure out what life in his kingdom is gonna be like. How does he represent his citizens? How does he interact with us, his people? What is Jesus like? Well, we hear four different titles in Isaiah chapter six, or nine, chapter nine, verse six. Here's what he says. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor. If you study governments, they typically rise and fall on the decision-making ability of the leaders at the top. You got an unwise leader, unwise king, unwise president with unwise counsel, with ungodly people around them giving them unwise advice. It's only a matter of time until things break down, get messy, and self-destruct from the inside out. Israel, God's people, would have known this exact pain. If you studied your Old Testament, there was good kings, godly kings, and there was a whole bunch of really bad, flawed kings. They made bad deals that didn't lead spiritually, that didn't protect their people, that didn't go out to war. And the decisions they made made their nation weak and vulnerable, and eventually they were taken captive to other foreign nations. This was a miss. But in the midst of that context, with a group of people in Israel that were wondering what will come of us, there's a promise made that a good and better king is coming that he will be called the wonderful counselor. So let me talk about, remember how Jesus was God and man, and these titles represent both. On the humanity side, Jesus is a counselor. A counselor is someone who gives and offers wisdom, speaks truth, gives guidance, and wise direction. And if you're a good counselor, one of the things that you can do is you can sympathize with those that you're giving counsel to. And Jesus is that sympathetic counselor. Hebrews tells us that because Jesus, through Christmas, came, put on flesh, he lived in a fallen, broken world. Jesus can relate to your pain. He can relate to your temptation because he's experienced temptation. He's experienced brokenness. He's experienced family drama. He's experienced rejection. Did he do it without sin? Absolutely. He never sinned. He never caved. But Jesus can sympathize with the pain and the brokenness that you've experienced. He's additionally the divine counselor that gives wise advice. Jesus has never known a situation or a moment where he's confused about what the right decision is. He operates in all wisdom. Scripture says he has no need for counsel. He's the only one who does not need counsel because he's eternally wise. On the divine side, he's a wonderful counselor. Now, this is not just saying he's a nice guy, he's a neat counselor, he's a godly counselor, he's a wise counselor. No, no, no. He's a wonderful counselor. The word here is actually uh, the word that we get for wonder. So to be around Jesus, this wonderful counselor would lead you to awe and wonder. It's speaking of his divine nature. The disciples spent time with Jesus and they were often left in wonder. Why? Because Jesus would speak to the storm and calm the seas and calm the waves and calm all that was out there that was chaotic. He would heal the sick, he would raise the death to life and they would just marvel in awe and wonder at the power of Jesus Christ. And one thing you need to know about our wonderful counselor is that he's near to you right now. Um, your pastor might not always be accessible to you. Your mentor might not always be near to you. Your mom and dad might not always be around for you to call and check in and process life with, but your wonderful counselor is. He's accessible. Even in this room, this Christmas, I understand it's supposed to be the happiest time of year. There's people who are gonna go to funerals in the next week. 
There's people who, this is the first year since they went through the divorce. There's people in this very room that have lost loved ones, that have gone through trials, who've lost jobs. I just want you to know, would you run to the wonderful counselor? Would you be comforted by him? Isaiah is showing us that Jesus governs with wonder and power, that, is, that he governs with the wisdom of God and the intimacy of the closest friend. And City Light, this is really good news. We need to understand what this means for us. We need to know that there's a day coming where we won't sit under flawed leaders who need many counselors to make wise decisions, but instead we will be enjoy the comfort and the peace of, being, of knowing that we are citizens of a new kingdom led by King Jesus who leads us with all wisdom and all grace and all power. This is awesome. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, amen? Second, Jesus is not just a wonderful counselor, but it says his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. So this might seem a little cliche at Christmas. You wanna talk about a mighty God? He's a little baby in a manger, right? He's just a little guy in a trough. Like he's not the strong, mighty warrior that we would think that he might come as. And it's true that Jesus came as a baby into this world. He lied in that manger, but he was still a mighty God. The one who gripped Mary's fingers was the all-powerful creator of the heavens and the earth who had even knit Mary together in his mother's womb. On the, uh, on the side of humanity, Jesus is mighty. The word mighty here translates to someone who's a warrior, who's a soldier, who's a fighter, who goes to battle, who doesn't run from the fight, but runs into the fight. It represents somebody who's courageous, that would move towards uh, the fire. This is, this is what it means to be mighty. But we all know that youth and strength of a warrior quickly advances into scar tissue and arthritis, Right? Like I'm 38 years old, I can barely touch my toes, right? Like it's not still the mighty warrior I thought I was at 28. So on the divine side though, he says not just that he's mighty, but he's a mighty God. Jesus is the divine defender of his people. He's the, he's the warrior in, with unmatched power and without the limitations of a broken body or aging uh, f- uh, physique. And I just want to pause and confess that oftentimes I like to act a lot stronger than I am. Every single guy in here is guilty of it, okay? We all just pull back our shoulders, puff out our chest, walk around the pool like we've been doing push-ups all day, okay? The reality is a lot of us are a lot more uh, fire or smoke than we are fire. The truth is I can be rather intimidated rather easily. Like the short guy in Korea who's got missiles and a bad haircut, that guy makes me real nervous, okay? Um, the guy at our church with neck tattoos who when I asked him what he does for a living, he says, I fight people in cages, I get nervous around that guy, okay? I just want to take it a little bit easy. You just don't know what's about to go down. Uh, I have a guy in my uh, neighborhood who's a retired special forces officer. He's done some things. Pretty sure he's been shot. I don't know what he's exactly done, but all I know is every time I see him, I wave, I smile, and I try to not make him angry, okay? Pretty sure he could end my life with a toothpick. That's, I'm mildly intimidated, okay? I'm just going to keep it real with you. But you know what I love? Jesus is not intimidated. He's not intimidated by anyone. He never flinches. He's a mighty God who stands undefeated in facing those who would aim to harm us, his church, or his people. Revelation shows us a different picture of Jesus, that he will one day return on a war horse with a sword coming out of his mouth to slay his enemies of Satan, sin, and death once and for all. Merry Christmas, y'all. We got swords and slaying happening, all right? (laughs) Nothing gets you in the Christmas spirit like Jesus on a war horse, all right? Welcome to City Light. Well, City Light, you need to know, why is this such good news? Why would the Bible include this? Why do you need to know that you have a mighty God? Well, first of all, as a Christian, you need to understand it's not on you to win all your battles. You're not gonna win all your battles. You're not strong, you're not mighty, but you worship one that is, who's undefeated, who's defeated all your enemies, who's a victor, amen? 
And he's strong enough to work every single one of our circumstances out for his glory and our good. That's our God. And you need to know that all the bullies of this world will one day be put in their place by our mighty God. There's a day coming when we will be in a kingdom and we won't feel any insecurity. We won't have a need for some earthly army. We won't need to build walls. We'll be safe and we'll be secure. The doors won't need to be locked because our king is strong and mighty and he has fought and defeated all of our enemies. That's good news. Jesus Christ is your mighty God. Next one, third one. And he shall be called the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. On the human side, Isaiah says that Jesus is like a father. Now I know some of you guys are gonna be like, hold up, how could this be? We know the Trinity is father, son, and Holy Spirit. How could Jesus be the father when the father is the father? Well, that's a great question. But Jesus reflects the nature and the character and the heart of the father. He additionally interacts and treats us much like a father would. Jesus plays a fatherly role towards his disciples and often calls them sons or daughter when addressing them. When you look at the life of Jesus, he was relationally engaged with his disciples. He didn't keep his distance. He didn't just preach at them. He fed them. He loved them. He protected them. He instructed them. He was near to them, just like a father loves his kids. If you look at Jesus as a king, he's the kind of king that's tough on his enemies and tender with his kids. That's Jesus. That's what it looks like to be a part of his kingdom. Now, maybe think about it like this. I'm, I'm a, a father of four kids. We have four little kids. And so what that means as being a dad is that when there's something that drops in the middle of the basement or something falls off the fridge and some noise in the middle of the night gets made in the house, it gets to be me that wakes up in the middle of the night, step on Legos and try to make sure the house is secure, okay? Um, that's what that means. To be a dad also means that every time our kids get um, maybe d- scratch their knee or get a boo-boo, they wanna crawl up here and be comforted and held. It means that every time they do a cartwheel or a coloring sheet and they want the dad's affirmation, they come over and say, dad, look what I did. Look, 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 look. But I'll just tell you a couple things about being a dad. Number one, it's absolutely exhausting, okay? Um, I, I appreciate some of y'all laughing. It is the absolute hardest job in the world. They wake up hungry, they need diapers changed, they go to bed, and then they try to escape their bedrooms like people try to escape jail. It is an absolute problem, okay? Um, And so it's absolutely exhausting. The other thing about being a dad is there's a reality. I tell my kids, I won't always be here. Like as fathers, we now understand that our season in our kids' lives is short. There's a moment coming. I'm 38 now. My love handles are permanent. My hairline is receding. I don't have to, I'm aging, okay? It's happening, all right? And so I'm gonna go to glory uh, probably before them. But you know what? I'm not leaving my kids behind. Um, My God is an everlasting father. And what the great news about that is he's a father who loves you. He's tender. He has a father heart towards you. But the great news about our God is he never ends. He never leaves. He never forsakes. Hebrews 13, five says that our God never leaves or nor forsakes you. He is the one constant in your life. Guess what? Your friends will change. Your job will change. Your house will change. Probably your financial status will change. Your hairline might change. You know what will never change? Our everlasting father. He doesn't leave his kids. He doesn't give up on his kids. He doesn't abandon his kids. Jesus is the everlasting father. Um, He'll rule in his kingdom like an everlasting father, approachable, loving, caring, near, protecting, providing, an everlasting father. I wanna be around that, amen? That kind of a king. Number four, he he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. If you look up at our world, do you see a lot of peace? No. A lot of chaos, (laughs) a lot of conflict, a lot of drama. There's lots of that. There's political divisions, civil wars, conflict with families, wars between nations. But guess what? There's a day coming when the Prince of Priests will return. 
So on the human side, we keep talking about in Isaiah, he's giving these titles to Jesus that represent his divinity and his humanity. So on the human side, Jesus is a prince. Now the prince here, this isn't just somebody who comes from a royal family. This title here is actually more tied to somebody who has a governmental authority, who has a position in office, who stewards the power and authority of others uh, for their well-being. But let's just be honest. When we think about a person with a lot of power in a position of influence and authority, um, some of us don't get excited about that. We get nervous about that because we've observed human history and and how power can corrupt human beings. We are sinful, broken people, and we can use our power in unhealthy ways because of our sinful, broken nature. And so we need a better prince. Can we just say that? We need a better kind of leader. And this is why he's the prince uh, in power. Isaiah says that he's the prince of peace. He says on the divine side, he's, he provides shalom. Shalom is the peace, it's wholeness, it's safety, it's well-being. Here's what you need to know. Jesus is a prince. He's the highest ranking officer. He reports to no one. He rules with all authority. He tells the sun to rise and to set. He is sovereign in his rule. He is uncorrupted by sin and he leads his people into peace. You know, when he was announced as peace on earth is one of the announcements that happens at the birth of Christ. And you have to ask yourself the question of how did Jesus come and be the Prince of Peace? Our world is in chaos. Our world is, is confusing. There's nations that are still warring, still people rebelling against God. How did he become the Prince of Peace? Well, in his first um, coming, Jesus came to bring us with peace with God. What did he do? We were actually in conflict with God. The humbling news at Christmas is that we really needed a savior. <laughs> The hard news of Christmas is that you weren't at peace with God because you're nice or religious or have Christmas sweaters or watch the Hallmark Channel. That doesn't make you at peace with God. You were sinful and broken and distant from God. And you know what Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to do to give you peace. He came into the drama. He came into the conflict. And he said, you know what? There's this thing separating you and your heavenly father. It's called sin. And I'll jump on that. I'll take responsibility for your sin and rebellion. And what Jesus did is live the perfect sinless life died a death on that cross in our place, absorbing the wrath of the Father so that you and I couldn't, wouldn't have to experience uh, the wrath of God, but it could experience the grace and the forgiveness of God. This is the prince who's come to, so that we could have peace with God. Church, I hope you know there might be conflict in your life, conflict in your marriage, conflict in your family, conflict in your relationships, conflict at work. There might be a lack of peace in a lot of places, but Jesus Christ is our peace. He's the peacemaker. And if you've believed in him, you eternally have peace with the Father. Even if you blow it this year, even if you mess up, even if you kind of get out of hand and fall back into that thing you said you would never do, you have peace with God because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's really good news, amen? And church, I want you to know that's just part of the good news. There's more news coming. Man, I'm telling you, when Jesus comes back, we will experience absolute peace for all of eternity. There's no more sin, no more conflict, no more wars, no more violence, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more pan attack, no more insecurity, no more family drama, no more political disputes, unending peace at every level. Shalom. It is well with my soul. Amen. The peace that we're longing for and that we're built for and that we're hungry for is not gonna be found in our better circumstances or bigger savings accounts or the next election. It will be found in the presence of the Prince of Peace and he's coming back again. Let me just close with this, City Light. Listen, what a beautiful promise from Isaiah. 700 years before Christ was ever 
born, these prophetic words were spoken that a king would come, a child would come, a son would be born, and on his shoulders the government would rest. And Jesus Christ broke into humanity in the most humble, unexpected way, born of two teenage parents that were unwed in a barn in the middle of no backwoods town, not in Jerusalem. His visitation list was some shepherds that worked the night shift that were blue collar. This is how God chose to come. In gentleness and in humility, a king came in this way. The God who made men became men to bring us back to God. This is the story of Christmas. The king came to the cradle and he came to defeat our enemies. He came to rule with all power. He came to love us like a father. He came to instruct us with all wisdom. He's come and he's coming back again. And the only question I have for you tonight is, is he your king? Is he your king? Can you look at your life and say, I've bowed a knee to this king. I've experienced the wisdom of this king's words, his insight, his instructions for my life. I've let him take rule and reign. I'm part of his mission to serve him and build his kingdom, not my own kingdom. I'm telling you, you'll find no better king. This is the kind of king that has fought for you, died for you, and actually shed blood for you. This is a king that loved you enough not to keep his distance from you, but to actually run at you and pursue you. This is a good king, a loving king, an amazing king. I've sat underneath this king's loving leadership now for over uh, almost two decades, and it has been an absolute joy to know this king, to serve this king, to walk with this king, to know the wisdom of this king. And you know what I get excited about heaven? It's not just escaping earth, it's being in the presence of this king. I'll tell you this, the worst thing is not dying. The worst thing is dying and not knowing this king. If you're here tonight, my invitation is that you would bow a knee, that you would receive him, that you'd let him be the Lord and leader of your life. Jesus Christ holds out not just eternal life, but abundant life right now. Would you start to experience this king? Would we surrender to him? For those of you who are Christians and you bow a knee to this king, let's prepare our hearts to worship. You know what? We've just got a foretaste of this king's life. Can't wait to see him. Can't wait to experience him. Can't wait to worship him for all of eternity besides you, citizens, and Christ's kingdom. Amen? Let's worship him right now. Jesus, we want to say thank you that you are the good king, the better king, the pure king, the honest king, the king who loves us as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. Jesus Christ, you came not just to do miracles. You came not just to preach sermons. You came not just to be an example for our kids. You came to rescue us from Satan, sin, and death. Jesus Christ, we want to say thank you. Thank you that you loved us enough to show up. Thank you that you loved us enough to come and do for us what we could have never done for ourselves. Jesus, you've done it. You're the king. You're worthy to be worshiped. Tonight we gather because we're a group of people who have been sought and saved by this king. We've experienced life in you. And so God, I pray for this church. God, help us to not lose focus of you. All that we long for isn't gonna be found outside of you, but found in you. And there's a day coming where all of our deepest desires and longings will be fully satisfied in you, Christ. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.